Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berende, and I am so delighted for our guest, Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez. Today, we are going to be talking about self-respect in the realm of sex, which is a very broad topic on purpose so that we can travel many different roads within that topic. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Jen, and you will have a pretty good guess as to why I chose such a broad topic after I intro her here. So Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez is a sociologist and intimacy coach and a national speaker on couples intimacy, sexual consent, women's empowerment, gendered communication, erotic play, and mindful sex. She has presented two TEDx talks, is the co-host of the podcast Sex Talk with Clint and the Doc, and her first book, From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women, will be out and about by the time this interview is live on air. Yeah. So yay for our first book being published. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Dr. Jen has over one and a half million hits on her In the Den with Dr. Jen YouTube video series and is an expert in the documentary on masturbation called Sticky, A Self-Love Story, which (laughs) I would love to see that documentary because it sounds great. Yeah, so very, very entertaining. <laughs> I bet. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see what, what path this conversation goes, what journey we'll be on. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I never know where it's going to go. <laughs> uh, before, we, before we start, will you tell our listeners what your superpowers are, please? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I've had so I've been thinking about it the past couple of days. Um, I think I first realized my real superpower when I first. So I do coaching with individuals and couples, and I really got that going about twelve years ago. Um, and I can remember early on the one time sitting with a client and they're explaining something, a story from their past, and. Um, and I'm listening and it's just, it's kind of, you know, neutral storytelling and I'm just listening to the story. And I started feeling so sad inside. And I was like, why do I want to cry right now? I'm like, there was nothing sad that this person's saying. And so I just sat with it and noticed it in me and stayed present with them. And about a minute later, uh, they started tearing up and they started sharing, you know, like the story took a turn to something that was really sad and really upsetting. And I was like, whoa, that was crazy that I felt that like, so it was in them, you know, they were feeling it, but not like overtly expressing it yet, but that I was able to pick up on it. Predictive um, emoting. Yeah. And like, I'm like, okay, there's, you know, there's sadness beneath the story. Cause now I know now I can, um, it, now I can use that to my advantage and be like, and be really attuned to folks and be like, okay, I know where it's going on or I, I, I could feel what's beneath not expressing it. Um, and it's super helpful also um, in my relationships because <laughs> I've had some uh, boyfriends, you know, early on be like, oh my God, they're like, how can you tell? And I'm like, oh, are you like feeling this like in this spot, like in your solar plexus and th- whatever? And they're like, yeah, that's totally where I feel that. And I was like, oh, that's really uncomfortable. <laughs> no wonder you're unhappy with this. Like I wouldn't be either. That's really rough to sit with. And again, 
and breathe through it. It's so, um, I think, incredibly validating to others. I mean, because we, you know, we're alone in these bodies, but to to know that we really can be so attuned to ourselves and to others that we literally can feel what other people are feeling. Um, I think it's a really beautiful way to bridge that gap that we were never really alone that way. We really are all in this together. So, yeah. I love that lens on it. And is this something that um, you feel like you had when you were younger too, or is it something you kind of woke up to as you became an adult? I think it's always been there in terms of my um, ability to read others. Um, my, yeah, it's, um, and then it's just been more attuned. I mean, for, I've been practicing mindfulness for 15 years um, mm-hmm. and practicing what I preach in meditation and, and all different aspects of it, but specifically mindfulness of really get attuned to what's happening in my body, in my thoughts, with my emotions, um, in any given moment and being able to attune to others in that way. So the, the self practice of mindfulness for 15 years of, of having my private practice with clients. Um, but this is something that, um, could, I could, I have some vague memories of just walking through spaces as a kid and just, I don't know, feeling like I could, I could in retrospect, probably read things or feel things in people that other people, didn't necessarily, but it's just my understanding of how I move through the world and who I, who I trust and who I don't. And so, yeah, there was no specific awakening, but certainly the cultivation of it through um, developing mindfulness skills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I, um, that's, I mean, that's part of what we teach over here at Superpower Experts too, is like mm-hmm. how to, how to be in enough awareness of oneself. And then those, those kinds of superpowers do, they start to come online in a bigger way uh, yeah. when we have that understanding of self-regulation and, and, um, and yeah, just a relationship like that. Yeah. So, so how did you get into the world of sex? Because <laughs> yeah. it's not, you know, I always say it's like, it's not the thing on the guidance counselor list of <laughs> like, <laughs> this is most definitely not an option. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's so funny because with, um, with my first book coming out, um, I just had a call with my mom. Yeah, I'm super close to my parents um, and I'm in San Diego, but they're back in Pennsylvania. And my mom just asked me that on the phone the other night because she keeps talking to all her friends about my book coming out. And, and then so they've been asking, you know, how did she get the sex field? And then she, so my mom's like, how did you get in the sex field? <laughs> like, how did you end up on this path? <laughs> it was so cute. So, and I, that's what I told her. I go, oh, this is like a podcast question I get. And I'm doing it with my mom. It's so cute. Um, but so I was raised like a good girl in Pennsylvania in a small town outside Philadelphia. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, and I, you know, I kind of start my story in this way because being raised quote unquote, a good girl comes with a a load of things that you're supposed to follow the rules and, um, you know, prioritize others and, um, sit like a lady and Mm -hmm. act like a lady, (laughs) Um, which means not having a strong voice, um, not having any fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, wearing dresses, and then you're not supposed to climb on the monkey bars, and mm-hmm. um, that was just never my thing. I was always sporty, and, and that didn't really come. I wasn't. My parents didn't really impose that, but just sort of from society, and I think from Catholic values. Um, but when I went to undergrad, uh, Lehigh University in Pennsylvania, 
my sophomore year, my roommate was a sexual health peer educator. Um, so you go around to the dorms, you do condom demonstrations, you talk about safer sex, you talk about negotiation, um, STDs, STIs. Um, and she was having so much fun in the group. Um, and so I was like, okay, that group just looks fun. You get to talk about sex. How cool is that? Um, but also because um, you get you get trained in, in public speaking skills, how to be comfortable standing in front of a group, let alone talking about one of the most uncomfortable topics there is. Mm-hmm. And so, and at the time, I was I hated doing group projects where you have to do an oral presentation in front of the class, and um, even just raising my hand sometimes in classes. So, um, yeah, so I joined because the topic sounded interesting, and I wanted public speaking skills. And then I can remember very quickly. Um, just really being intrigued by a lot, recognizing that a lot of the approach to sex education was very fear-based mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, you show, you know, you show pictures of um, STDs on people's genitals and you tell them all these bad things that can happen. Um, and they'd be like, oh, it'd be a Thursday night presentation. And they're like, oh my God, I'm never having sex again, or I'm never having it without a condom. And then you you know, you run into Monday morning after a weekend of drinking and they're like, yeah, I totally did it again. And so I was like, okay, this approach clearly isn't working. <laughs> and it's shame-inducing too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's shame-inducing. It's fear-based. It's not empowering. not pleasure-based. It's, it's not based on what's motivating us to want to connect with other human beings in the first place or to experience, um, you know, have, experience sexual um, fun and pleasure and connection and intimacy um, so yeah. And so I, um, that was my introduction to the field. And then when I went to grad school in Albany, New York, um, there was a sexual health peer educator group there. It was mostly for undergrads as a graduate student, and then, um, went on to help to be an assistant and running that program also. Um, so that was kind of my segue in and then studied sociology and got my PhD in that uh, around sexual health education, uh, targeting adult women, HIV prevention programs. So I, de- I came into this field through the sexual health realm mm-hmm. um, and kind of the public health perspective, but was quickly integrating it with women's empowerment and women's voice and pleasure and a very much more holistic approach to the topic. Yeah, very cool. And we're going to dive into all that stuff when we get back. <laughs> we do have to take a quick break. Before we go to break, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work and your book? Yeah, my main hub is my website, which is drjensden.com. It's D-R-J-E-N-N-S-D-E-N.com. Beautiful. So we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez about self-respect in the realm of sex. It's much more when we get back. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this one. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Okay, we are back. So I have 
a broad question that I think will take us in a lot of different directions. Okay. But I know you have seen a lot of things in your in your work and in your in the time that you've been doing this work. What do you think are some of the most common things in the realm of sex that we don't talk about culturally and therefore have a tremendous amount of shame around? Yeah. Um, so shame, we have a lot of shame as Americans just around our bodies mm-hmm. um, in a way that other societies don't necessarily have. Um, you know, we equate um, nudity with sexuality um, and, and therefore, you know, and shame all sides of it. Um, I think it's, you know, sex is an incredibly vulnerable act, um, and experience with another human being. And I think, um, I, I, we never, we never get trained in that aspect of it. You know, if we get sex education, if we do get any comprehensive sex education, it's about uh, the anatomy and the reproductive system. Um, and I would say we're not getting the, we don't get taught the complexity of what it is to be in relationship with another person, mm-hmm. what it is to have needs and desires, um, knowing that those are okay and normal. Um, I mean, I think especially for um, young women growing up in our culture, that we still have the boys will be boys mentality and that, of course, sex boys want sex and they want to get off and they want to have pleasure. Um, and we don't have um, anything comparable for teen girls growing up, just a normalization of their pleasure, at least. Yeah. Um, and desire. I, yeah. And desire. Absolutely. Um, and that's still, I mean, certainly in, in um, I was just reading something about somebody raised really Christian um, and that that was, they really felt like the first time they had sex um, if they had sex outside of marriage, that it was basically going to be like a rape because they were taught boys can't control themselves um, and that girls needed to be responsible and basically defend themselves and their purity. And they're like, nowhere in there was there anything about consent or having a voice or pleasure or desire. Um, like she just, she didn't even know any of that was part of what it was to be a sexual woman. So um, because that I means. I think a lot of people say, like, well, sex is natural. Animals do it. It's easy to do. We know what to do. But it's an incredibly complicated, nuanced topic when you're looking at it physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And all of those components, and they have so many layers within them, and you have two different beings showing up with two different ways of thinking and experiences that they come to the table with and energies that they're bringing to it. And so there's so much beautiful complexity to a sexual encounter and to that type of intimacy with another human being. And I think um, we're never taught how to, about that, um, about how to, how to own that in ourselves, how to connect with others in that way. And I think even that at a basic level causes a lot of shame because it's just so vulnerable um, and we don't know how to um, create that safety for ourselves and others to go to those vulnerable places instead of just, you know, getting drunk um, and, uh, you know, and having sex. Um, You know, I I talked to some college students recently here in San Diego, some sorority women, and I talked about um, negotiating around a sexual encounter. And they're like, what's to negotiate? Either it's a yes or a no. And I'm like, well, there's a million different sexual acts you could be doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody's 
sucking on your nipple. There's so many ways that they could be doing that. Um, and, and ways that they're touching you or looking at you. And there's just so much nuance. And to like a sexual encounter, they're like, we don't understand like what's to negotiate. Either you're going to have sex or you're not. And, yeah. I'm like, and that yeah. is such a hugely important conversation to break down into nuance. Cause I think that's where especially in, in our culture here in the West, like that's where we've gotten seriously off track and why Me Too happened the way it happened because we've, we've been taught, it's been drilled into our minds that it's black and white, yes or no, and it's not at all. No, not at all. You're right. Yeah, it's presented as it's a very simplistic, um, yeah, like a black and white thing. And um, even now when we're, we, we're having a cultural conversation, well, some people are having a cultural conversation about consent. It seems to be a little bit more ubiquitous than it was before since Me Too happened. You know, it's like, it's still like, if she said no means no, you know? Right. And, and I think, you know, I think a good example of how this gets boiled down to in a, in a Me Too era um, of a black and white approach to sex is um, like apps that have been created where um, both of you sign um, an agreement that you have both consented to sex. Whoa, for real? That exists? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those things exist. Oh, um, my God. There's so many. I mean, I get, I totally get where the concept's coming from. Yeah. Um, and that there has to be some kind of conversation. Um, and you're agreeing um, something ahead of time. So, like, I get it. But, the, but you know, first of all, you could change your mind. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that you signed something. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely change. And it's also what exactly are you consenting to? Right. What is the definition of sex? Right. And, and oral sex and play or BDSM or some power play or, um, you know, anal sex. Like there's just, it's, it's endless, um, the different activities. And I mean, it's just like intercourse that they're talking about. But again, like you could start doing all these other things and then be like, you know, I'm not really into this. I don't want to do this. Or this doesn't feel safe. Like, and of course you could say, no, it doesn't matter that you signed something. I feel like it almost then will do the opposite thing that it's like, well, I signed this, so I have to, even yes, if I don't want like to. Yeah, it's like locked you into it. Yeah. So it's, it's a too simplistic and detached of a perspective on intimacy and sexual encounters um, to ever actually work. Um, and, but I think it's very indicative of, of where we're having our problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so what, how, how did the rest of that conversation with those sorority girls go? I mean, when, when you were introducing all of this, like, Hey, guess what? There's like a million different choice points in this process. It's not just, do I want yeah. to or not? Well, did- so I think they thought I was nutty. <laughs> First of all, Cause I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, are you kidding? And I was like, I just started writing on the board, like all of these different sexual acts and then taking some of them and being like, and then there's these nuances within this and you could do it this way, whatever. And they were just silent. I don't think they knew what to make of it. Um, I'm hoping it was planting some seeds. Um, What, what started it is that I was having them, you know, practice some consent conversations and I had them do one that was actually a negotiation. Um, because I know that kind of blows their mind that somebody, asks them for some, you know, something sexual or says that they want to do that. And where they actually, they're not like a hell yes. And they're not a no, they're like sort of a yes to that person, but they want to negotiate the activity. And I think that just blew their mind because I I don't think that is in no way I think is that in their repertoire at all in sexual Mm -hmm. encounters. 
But, um, you know, right. we, you know, we're talking about self-respect in the realm of sex. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge component of that, of, of acknowledging that I can say yes to this person and maybe no to exactly what they're asking for from me right now. Yeah. And that there's, that there's other things you can do that you have a right to ask to do other things that you, you, that you have a, you have a voice and choice like those two concepts and that there's sort of endless variety within that. I literally don't think that most of these young women that ever they've ever heard that in that way. And that that ever crossed their mind in a sexual encounter. I mean, and that is like, talk about a huge disservice we're doing around sex education and these, you know, these young women that are, you know, 20, 21 in college, sexually active. Um, that that's, that's, that's like not even cross their mind. It was an option. So, um, yeah. So I think, I mean, they weren't quite sure what to do with it, but at least I planted the seeds with them and that they have each other now that there was other, you know, 20 women in the room that also learned the same concept. So Mm -hmm. I hope that they will talk to each other about that. Mm -hmm. Um, continue to learn and grow. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, thank you for, for having that conversation with them because I think it's so, so needed. We need like a million of you across the whole country having a <laughs> conversation with, with young women. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about the book for a minute. What was the inspiration for this book? Yeah, I, um, so, I mean, the book title is from madness to mindfulness, reinventing sex for women. And about in December of 2012, I gave my first TEDx talk and it was on uh, female sexuality, kind of the state of affairs in the United States around female sexuality, and then applying mindfulness of how we can start to, you know, empower ourselves or step into our power in new ways that's been taken away from us um, by how we've been sociologically trained in our society. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so well received by the audience and men and women and folks that came up and talked to me afterwards. And then it was online and it was just getting such a good response. I was like, okay, I mean, this is what I was already doing in my work, but I'm like, okay, I've hit a nerve here. Like this is resonating with people. Like this is making sense to them. What I mean, and this were some of the key points that like were that people really need have been needing to hear. Cause it sounds like when there's that kind of a response, it's like you're providing something that there's been a hunger for. Yeah. And it's interesting to see because um, when I started this, a lot of these, these topics weren't being talked about in a way that they are now in 2019. Mm. Mm. So the timing of my book is quite good. Um, I think had it, had I actually got it done when I wanted to years ago, because <laughs> I started writing it six and a half years ago, uh-huh. wanted it to be done quickly. Um, I think it actually would have been too ahead of the curve. Uh-huh. So, I mean, definitely uh, sexual shame and how we, how we carry that deeply in us and it makes us want to bury our head in the sand and not talk to anybody and how there's so many components of women's sexual experiences and learnings, or even if there's just silence around sex in your household, that can make you think, oh, okay, but I'm having feelings. That must be really bad. Right. Because nobody's talking about this, and this must be a really bad thing if nobody's talking about it. Like, what's wrong with me? So there's so many ways that embarrassment and shame attached, especially for women around sexual topics, and just so much messaging in society, and also around women's bodies being imperfect, Yet at the same time, you should be 
perceived as sexual to other people so that you get attention and get worth and value. Um, so it's just this constant contradiction. Um, and at no level are we being taught something that's a deep level of knowing ourselves and trusting ourselves and liking ourselves. Um, and so that, I think that, that deep shame component, um, I think also just really pointing out all of these different components from religion to sociology to, to politics and, or, you know, to, to politics, to family, to, um, to media and all these places that we're getting these undermining messages that create what we think is just normal and natural around sex, but actually has been quite um, contrived by our society and isn't in our best interest. So I think just having that big picture concept uh, spoke to a lot of people, the shame piece, um, and then actually guiding them through, you know, an example that I did with one of my clients and how I helped her get in touch with her body and aware um, of her sexual response. Um, and it, just that, um, that we can have that attunement to ourselves through mindfulness and that we actually can train ourselves to do it. Um, and then to be able to overcome the messages that we've been taught. Um, and then, you know, and like the whole point of my book to create a version of ourselves as sexual beings on our own terms. So I, I think all of those messages seem to really resonate with the audience, the shame piece, and then the, what we can do with it, how we can move through that. And, and people weren't talking about that yeah. back then. And, and this on our own terms, I'm, I'm very intrigued by, because I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said that we, we don't, we're not even aware of the level of conditioning that we're receiving no. around sex and our bodies and all of that. And and so how do you help someone craft a, a sexual life that's on their own terms when their desires or what they think they want might not even actually be intrinsic to them? Um, it's what they've been fed. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, the on their own terms, it's we're, um, you know, from birth, we're being socialized. Um, you know, if we're assigned male or female at birth, we immediately start getting socialized in some direction. And so sure. we, we, and that, that, that then links into our biology, um, and our physiology. And so, you know, we can't ever really separate out those things. Um, but what I help women do is to help them step back and to be able to observe it, um, you know, without judging themselves I mean, what, what is mindfulness, you know, observe, observation, noticing without judgment um, in the present moment. And so just to be able to step back and, you know, one of the exercises that I do, each chapter in my book ends with um, a sheet. Oh, hold on. You, so you cut out so for a moment. So each, oh, each chapter each. of your book ends with an exercise. Yeah, and it's with like um, some worksheets where you can actually write in answers in the book um, based on the chapter. So you get to reflect on um, what was talked about in the chapter, um, how it relates to you. You get to write it down, and then there's an action item. And one of the questions is just to reflect on, you know, what, what were your childhood messages around sex, relationships, intimacy, gender roles? Mm -hmm. um, were they positive? Were they negative? Do you still carry them with you? 
Um, and then I, you know, the action item I give, and I've gotten feedback from a couple folks that did early reviews of my book that they've done this exercise. They then seek out a couple of their female friends when they're together over a meal or something, and they bring up this topic. And they're like, what, what were your experiences around this? And everybody has totally different experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love, it's like a, like a book group, book study. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah totally a book group um, built into my book. Um, yeah, I love it. There. Um, because it's, you know, it's one thing to read about these topics and read about mindfulness, but we have to be doing it. Um, yeah. that's, you know, we, we have to be dropping in and sitting with this discomfort and the truth of these messages and how they live in us to be able to move through them and make different choices. And so that's at the core of what I mean. Mm -hmm. And sex for ourselves is just keep shining the light on these messages and pulling. Oh, shoot. Um, Okay. Where did I cut out? Sorry about that. Sorry to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a Mercury a Mercury moment. Um, so, Uh-oh. yeah, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Out, which is weird because it's showing. Oh, I'm so, losing you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, let me just let me just bring us me. bring us back for a moment. Um, okay. One thing that keeps coming up for me as I'm hearing you talk is I'm thinking about listeners who have children Mm. and, you know, you've already, you know, you said yourself at the beginning, like a lot of your imprinting actually, you know, wasn't so much your parents. It was more cultural. Mm -hmm. How, How do you, um, like, what do you say to parents right now who are parenting young people teenagers when it comes to talking about sex teaching about sex in a healthy way within the larger cultural context yeah well so i think one of the most two things come to mind one did was and i know more parents are doing this today is teaching consent um, around body autonomy from a young age. Um, an example of that is that your kids, as soon as they can, you know, give you feedback, talk to you and give you feedback that they have a choice, say, you know, when they're going to bed, do you want a hug? Um, do you want a handshake? Do you want a high five? Do you want a fist bump? (laughs) Do you want a wave? Um, that they're, they're, from a young age, learning to check in with their needs and where they're feeling in their body and where their boundaries are. And to teach that and so that they're never, you know, at six years old, get a gift from somebody and obligated to give that person a hug and a kiss mm-hmm. when they don't want to. Um, so that early on, just normalizing that they have a, a right to their bodies and they have a right to who touches their body and who doesn't. I mean, if that was the normal way that we taught kids, I, I really don't think we'd have um, to some extent, sexual abuse in the way we do with kids because they would know right away. Yeah. Nope. I know this is wrong. And I know this saying things and I trust this person, but like mom told me this is wrong and that I always get a say around this and that everybody has to honor that. And this person isn't honoring that. Um, so I think that that, that level of just yeah, normalizing that the other pieces in age appropriate ways, starting 
you know, at age seven or eight, talking about um, adolescence, talking about different bodies and different genitals and just normalizing all of that in age appropriate ways um, and talking about, you know, heading into puberty um, because, you know, some girls in particular, you know, will hit puberty way younger and be developing um, and they're being perceived in sexual ways, even though emotionally they're not there at all. Um, So, I mean, starting these conversations at really young ages, um, talking about feelings, liking, you know, boys or girls and um, and desire, right? I mean, yeah, all of that. Exactly. Normalizing all of that and making you a safe place for your kids to come. That's the biggest thing around this because majority of the research shows, um, actually all the research shows that the majority of kids and teenagers want to be able to talk to their parents about these topics. Mm. And so Mm. even if you're awkward and uncomfortable with it, Start from that place and say, so like, I never got this conversation. You know, I, I wasn't taught this well when I grew up or my parents never did this for me, but I want you to have skills um, and understanding and be empowered in this in a way that I wasn't. So even though I am uncomfortable with this, I love you so much. We're still going to have these awkward conversations. Um, and when they're young enough, when your kids are young enough, it's not awkward at all. You just normalize it and they're like, oh, okay you know, till they start to become tweens or something and they might start to get awkwardness from it and they're picking that up from society. Um, But the more that you have laid that foundation that you are trustworthy, you are safe, you're not going to judge them, you're not trying to, to, to tell them what to do or not to do, but you are guiding them, those type of conversations, those are kids that'll keep coming back to you. Those are kids that'll be like, yeah, I'm having a situation, I don't know what to do with it. Um, and as they get older, the kids that are like, yeah, I'm dating this person and I'm, we're thinking about having sex. Like, that's what you want your kids to be able to do with you. I mean, that's how it is in like some Scandinavian countries and all. And then the parents will, you know, maybe take the daughter to get birth control or the first time they have sex actually might be under their own roof. Their kids are doing it actually in a relationship with a, a boyfriend and girlfriend that they're actually in love with. Um, because they've normalized that instead of something that needs to be hidden when you're out at a party or you get drunk and something that's like shame and, and silenced. Um, it's a normal part of what it is to be a human. So laying that foundation from a young age, getting, there's lots of books out there that are really good. And so what if you're not sure how to, Oh, I'm trying to remember. Them. Um, I have a, computer that I send out to folks. I have a file. I forget. Um, oh, That's I'm forgetting okay. the author's name. Too. If you can put them in show notes or something, I can send you um, some if you want. I'm totally blanking on it right now. Um, so, well, and there's actually, there's a serious call. It was a woman reached out to me recently to give an endorsement. Um, it's called like the Ask Nani series. N-O-N-N-I-E, I think. And, um, She's got books about consent and racial topics and death and all of these difficult topics of how do you talk to your kids about it. Um, and it's done with, you know, some cartoon drawings and um, just really well done and covering a lot of really difficult topics. Um, so that's one place to go. But yeah, otherwise I can, I can send you the link to some other great books because yeah, lots of parents are like, I don't even know where to start. And so 
Um, Advocates for Youth and Planned Parenthood have great free resources for parents on their websites. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, getting, um, getting some books um, that, you know, meet your kid at the age that they're at as they're growing up. Um, you can read through the book first so you're comfortable with it. And then, you know, you can sit down and read it with them. Um, and then it's okay to say you don't have the answers to everything. Right. You can say, you know what, I'm not sure about that or I can find that out for you. Um, you know, why are you curious about this? Um, you know, what are kids saying in school about this? What are you hearing? That's a really great way um, um, to just to open normalizing conversations. Because then again, because you want your child to come to you and be like, yeah, the kids are talking about this. I don't know. It's making me uncomfortable. I'm not sure what to do with this. Or somebody, you know, they're 11 and somebody was showing porn on their computer. Um, and like that your child will come home and tell you that's totally what you want. Yeah. It's safe for them. And then, and then don't like freak out. <laughs> um, don't, don't like get them in trouble. You know, um, you, I mean, you need a parent, but you want to still make it safe. Um, and then talk about them. You know, how did, how did you feel about that? You know, what do you think about that? Um, do you have any questions about that? Um, One thing I, I have a, a friend and I absolutely loved how she responded when she found out that her 16 year old son had been watching porn. I mean, she said she took a few days to like <laughs> respond because she was she had so many feelings that she had to work through, and she didn't want to like just erupt on him. Um, but finally, <laughs> finally, what she what she came to, which I just thought was such a brilliant, brilliant answer, was to just clarify for him that what he was taking in and what he was observing while watching pornography was theatrics and yes. was not actually having anything to do with what really happens when men and women engage in an intimate relationship sexually. Yeah, that's uh, perfect. And I just thought it was such a brilliant, brilliant answer. And so important Yeah, um, for everybody to know, but pers- particularly boys watching porn. Yeah. Because um, that really is kind of in some ways – the most sex education they're getting, at least in terms of like the actual nitty gritty of the act. Um, but boy, it's not good sex. <laughs> right. And it's, it's incredibly disempowering sex for women. And it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's a lot of like jackhammering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does not make for great for your partner. Right. So um, yeah, that's, I love how she took a few days so that she could calm down and be really mindful in her response. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. Yeah. Does that answer questions for parents or any other directions? you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, and I, and I think too, what, what just keeps coming up with this topic when, when we talk about talking with kids about sex, it's like, it is not a one time. It's not the talk that you have. It's a consistent conversation that happens over many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that, that laying the foundation at a young enough age is really important. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I think a lot of parents want to be able to pass on their values to their kids around sex and relationships. This is how you do it by having these ongoing conversations, but you need to be safe. You can't be, um, just black and white. You can't freak out. You can't say, to, you know, just don't, don't come home pregnant. You know, there yeah. needs to be, um, 
real nuance to the complexity of what it is to be a sexual being and to be a, a young person growing into that and the confusion um, of, you know, being in a changing body and just having compassion for that. Um, and it's like, you never, you know, you don't, you don't need to go into nitty gritty details of, of, you know, sexual intercourse unless your kid's asking for that. Um, so, you know, asking them a lot of questions and finding out where they are and what they're curious about and making that, um, a normalized thing that you do and, and over, you know, dinner conversations, sitting down and having dinner conversations. And I think there's some research that shows like that's one of the healthiest things a family can do for raising kids is to have meals together mm-hmm. where you sit down and that it's, um, you know, it's normalized and it's stable every day. And, um, that you talk about your day and you can model that for your kids. You could talk about roses and thorns, you know, what was a highlight from the day and what was something you struggled with? And you can model that type of self-awareness and reflection on your day with your kids. And then they could do the same. And then you could be caught up with what's going on in their life and what's going well and what they're struggling with. So all of that type of, um, open communication and um, biting your tongue <laughs> when you have to until um, you can figure out a, a mindful response. It's and do, I mean, doing your own work. If you're, I mean, if you're listening yes. to this show, likely you are someone who is doing your work <laughs> in the realm of, yeah. of sex and, and really wanting to, to grow and, and expand and release your shame around it. Cause I think that's, and that's the biggest thing that makes it awkward is the, when the, when we have our own shame stories around around sexuality and, uh, and around sex itself, you know, then that's what comes through as awkward. That's what makes those conversations yeah. awkward. Yeah. So yeah, to do some, some, some parents, you know, if you're, if you're really awkward about this and um, Sorry. <laughs> um, to, to sit and do some journaling work on, you know, exactly what I was saying before, like what childhood messages did you get? Um, you know, before you sit and talk to your kids about this, get really clear on what you were raised with what what shame or embarrassment you carry, what messages do you carry maybe that um, have held you back or insult your soul um, and get clear on that. And you can, you can be vulnerable with your children about that. Again, in age-appropriate ways, just to being like, you know, I, I carry some, some heaviness around this or I've struggled with this because I wasn't taught how to do this or how to love my body. Um, I, that type of vulnerability, I think, is really going to... Um, those are meaningful, poignant stories to share with your kids um, in terms of educational lessons and educational moments um, around topics that, that parents often think they shouldn't talk about. Yeah. So, um, it's a, yeah, it's okay to not know everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay to share your struggles. Obviously, you know, don't freak your kids out. <laughs> <laughs> but just be like, yeah, no, this is something I struggled with. And so that they know... Like we're, you know, we're all in this together to come back to that theme again. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Jen, we are coming towards the end of our time. Is there anything that you want to make sure that our listeners hear that we haven't already traversed in this conversation? Oh my gosh, like a million things. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> oh, so I love, I mean, I love these topics. Um, they're so important. Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say, I mean, I guess as a, maybe it, take home message just um these are you know be kind to yourself these are these are tough topics these are like uncomfortable topics to start pulling back the layers on uh it takes a lot of courage to do it because it's a very vulnerable experience um and 
um, you know, the sooner we get on that path at a pace that works for us, the happier we'll be in the long run, the more able, we'll be more able to have the type of intimacy and connections and, and pleasure, um, that we want to have in life and share with others. So, but, um, it, you know, it, it deserves a lot of compassion and kindness towards yourself because it is it's hard. It's uncomfortable and to be kind to yourself in the process. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and be on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. Um, and we got to share this time together. And thank you for doing this podcast around such awesome topics. Yeah. This is really cool that you do this. Thank you. Well, I'm all about like, let's break down the stigmas and the judgment and the, the shame because we all do it. So let's talk about it. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> And to our listeners, thank you so much for continuing to tune in from all of your places scattered all over the globe. I'm so grateful for you. If you have not yet joined us in the Superpowers Our Real group on Facebook, please come and play with us in there. Check out our programs. Um, you can go to superpowerexpress.com forward slash programs if you really want to learn how to embody your superpowers and bring them out into the world to create positive change. That's what we're all about over here. And if you have not yet taken the quiz, go take the quiz. Find out what your superpowers are. Uh, there's lots of ways to engage and play with us over here. So just know that we love you. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.